If you're using a pew Bible this morning or have the same page numbers as I do, it's page 852, page 852 as you make your way there. This message is part two in one that we started last week entitled Truth in the Face of Lies. Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. He's been arrested, uh, and there is this, for lack of a better term, a kangaroo court happening (laughs) in the cover of night, not according to the rules and the laws of the Jews. There is this trial, and Jesus is unjustly accused. But while this is happening, there's also a trial happening out in the courtyard, the trial of public opinion with Peter. And uh, we're going to be looking at the second half of this passage this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your mercy. For your mercy is truly more than any of our sins. Lord, we need your mercy. For our sins are many. They are many, Lord. Even after we have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, there's that ongoing battle. You call us to put sins to death. Lord, help us do that. Lord, I pray this morning as we reflect here on Peter and his interaction with these bystanders as Jesus is on trial. May you reveal in our own lives how we fear man more than God, how we are so concerned with how we are perceived and accepted in the lies of our own heart. Lord, reveal that to us. Lord, help us to renew our thinking in regard to that with the help of your word that we'd be made more like Christ, standing for him in the truth of his word. We pray in his name. Amen. I'll be reading our whole passage again this morning for starting in verse 53 of Mark 14. As they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know know, nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. 
And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. As I've mentioned, this section here is a series of courtrooms. Before rulers, before bystanders, the court of public opinion, we read here of Peter. And of course, we knew this was coming. Jesus prophesied. He foretold this in the upper room as Jesus was speaking to his disciples and saying, all of you will abandon me. And Peter in his boldness said, I won't, Lord. And he says, Peter, before this night is over, before the rooster crows, you're going to abandon me. Never. And all the disciples joined him in saying that. But yet again, we see how Jesus, in his sovereignty as God, understood what was happening and knew what was going to happen. Yet he willingly submitted himself to his Father's will and continued on. And the disciples abandoned him. Even Peter followed him at a distance, but yet we see here this final abandonment on Peter's behalf. Our big idea for this section was that true discipleship courageously speaks the truth in the face of lies from bold opposition. A true follower of Jesus will courageously, not without fear, not without trembling, but with courage, speak the truth in the face of bold opposition. Speak the truth in the face of lies when the lies seem like truth from the bold opposition. And in our first point, we looked at how the world promotes lies. How the world is full of things being upside down. The rulers didn't care about the truth. They wanted what was expedient to them to help them get rid of Jesus. They had a different definition of what truth was. They wanted what would ever match their agenda, what they wanted. And Jesus remains faithful to the truth. He speaks clearly and plainly and boldly and in the face of those lies demonstrates who he is and how he will be the ultimate judge of these individuals. So we looked at the pressure of lies from the outside, of the world pressing down on us. But in the second section here, in the idea of standing courageously for the truth, we realize the inner battle that we have. The inner battle that we have as individuals. Our second point is this, is that the sin nature promotes self over Jesus. The sin nature promotes self over Jesus. And our sin nature loves to lie to us. We love to believe those lies. We love to excuse them and to make uh, stories and scenarios where we can justify our sinful actions based upon the circumstances around us or our own inner desires and feelings. While Jesus remained resolute in the face of these bold lies, Peter fails miserably. And it's interesting to see the contrast between who Jesus was being bold in front of, religious leaders, educated men, people with power and authority, and then who Peter cowered before a young servant girl. <laughs> we see the contrast, and it's highlighting the fact how we 
as sinful individuals fail miserably often. <laughs> Listening to the lies that our own sinful heart produces over the truth that God provides us in Jesus and ultimately in his word. And as we already read from Jeremiah 17 this morning, it's good for us to remind ourselves of this, is that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, or uh, the New King James is desperately wicked. Who can understand it or who can know it? The idea is that in our sin, in our sin nature, it's amazing how our sinful desires can impact our thinking and why we do things. It can shade things just a little bit to where we aren't doing things with a completely clear conscience, but we have an aim or an angle or a wrong motivation. Now, I'm not saying that we're always, always like this, but that our hearts are affected by this through and through. And so we always need to be testing our thoughts, our feelings, our, especially our emotions. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions are given by God. God has emotions, except his are completely righteous and holy. <laughs> Ours, on the other hand, can be tainted by sin and often are. And so it's important for us to remember that our sin nature its natural bent is to promote self over Jesus. And it's important for us to understand that as we come to this passage because we see Peter's sinfulness and his sin nature come out in his response to these questions and to these truths that are actually true. It's interesting, the religious leaders were promoting lies and Jesus remained truthful. Here, the questioners are promoting truth, and Peter is the one lying. <laughs> the accusations in this courtroom are true, but the one who is on trial is bearing false witness. Following the question here of Jesus, Mark turns his focus back to Peter. Let's look at verse 66, and we see how Peter's response to this questioning reflects how the lies of our own sin nature promote self over Jesus. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, remember uh, this compound, this, this house would have had an open courtyard and Peter was probably out there in the open with servants and guards and other individuals. Mark used the term bystanders, just people milling about in the house, which would be very normal. And they would be able to look up and more than likely hear what was happening in the room uh, that surrounded them. So Peter was below in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came. This is a, a servant girl. We aren't sure exactly her age, but she would definitely be on the younger side. Maybe 12, 13, 14. And she would be a, a housemaid. Somebody who would work in, in the chief priest's house, cleaning, preparing things. Uh, not a high-standing member of society. <laughs> this was a young individual, a servant girl. And this servant girl, verse 67, seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, came. And she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So a couple things here. One, she knows that Jesus uh, is from Nazareth. He's a, he's a Nazarene. Uh, not a Nazarite. That's something completely different. If you're interested, Pastor James has uh, took a class and had to write a paper or sermon on that. So, so if you want to know, talk to him. A Nazarene, the area of Nazareth. Uh, and she understands that this is where Jesus is from. And so she asks him, hey, aren't you from that area? Weren't you with him? Granted, this is a young girl kind of just bringing up 
a conversation by a fire late at night. And Peter said, no, verse 68, but he denied it. And he said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Now that is a huge crock right there. <laughs> hey, weren't you with Jesus the Nazarene? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm not sure I understand your question. It's pretty clear that this young girl is just asking Peter, Peter, weren't you with Jesus? Don't, don't you know him? Here is this simple question of association with Jesus. I wonder if Peter would have said, yeah. If she would have said, okay, I thought so, and walked away. And nothing more would have happened. But in Peter's denial, in his fear of this situation, he, for the first time, denies association with Jesus. In a very simple way. It's like saying to somebody, oh, don't you go to Horton Baptist Church? I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of it. Where's Horton? Now that might, that might be a, you know. Uh, it's this simple denial of a truth. Peter could have said, yeah, I know Jesus. I, I, I traveled with him. Oh, okay. But he denies it. But then it continues on. And we see how Peter's fear begins to build. Because after he denies her, he says, this Mark records for us in the end of verse 68, and he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. So Peter himself is starting to feel uneasy. This gateway would have been uh, like an entrance into the courtyard. It would have been on the, the edge, right? If you don't want to be noticed, you go away to the edge. So Peter goes to the gateway, kind of out of sight, out of mind, still there, but maybe a little hidden. But... They continue discussing. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, I think. Because that doesn't give anything away, right? Uh, Peter implicating himself. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never, this Jesus, I don't know him. But yet he, you know, sneaks away. Like, don't ask me anymore. Because that's not self-incriminating at all. And the servant girl says to the other people there, I think, I think this man was with him, isn't he? Look at him. He, he's, he's hiding since I asked him that question. This man is one of them. Verse 70, but again, he denied it. The second denial of Peter that he was with Jesus. But again, he denied it. A second opportunity for Peter, Peter to say, ah, oh, you're right. I, I was with him. He denies it. And again, verse 70, and after a little while, the bystanders, so now it's just more than the servant girl, it's these other people, whether it's adult servants or guards, other people in the household here of the high priest, said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, how could they know that Peter was from Galilee? Like the United States, there are different accents from different areas where you are from. Whether you're from the south from the east, uh, we had a friend in college who grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and it was just kind of funny to listen to him talk. Uh, he'd, you know, pockets car and stuff like that. And he'd say, I'm not talking weird. It's like, yes, you are. <laughs> from the south, uh, even out west, if you go up north, we lived in Minnesota, and uh, there's a man in our church, good friend, he always had to get his batteries. 
and uh, go over there to Shakopee, and uh, you could hear the accent come out. And it's like, oh, you, you must be from Minnesota or, or north or from the south or wherever. And you can have an inkling of where you're from. And here it, it's clear that through Peter's conversation, uh, he's a Galilean. Uh, their, their accent was a little bit different. And so they would have known that. And, and the bystanders say, certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. Again, there's no real uh, attacking of Peter. These questions aren't like, we want to string you up too. This is more of a, aren't you just with him? Help us understand this. This isn't, I don't think, a dangerous situation for Peter. Because what, what are these servants and bystanders going to do apart from maybe mock him a little bit? I don't think he's in any danger. But yet Peter continues, in a sense, to guard himself, selfishly denying his association with Jesus. And it comes to this culmination here in verse 71. He says, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now this isn't cursing and swearing like foul language. This is cursing and swearing such as, I swear that I do not know him. I am making the statement before God is my witness that I don't know Jesus. That idea of swearing. And, and cursing the idea of, if, if I know Jesus, let a curse be upon me. So it's not cursing and swearing in our understanding necessarily today, but rather he is demonstrating through these promises through these curses, that he doesn't know him. These are, are various serious things. Jesus talks about this. All right, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, and swearing things before God. Making commitments. Peter says, I am swearing before God as my witness that I don't know Jesus. Now just listen to that. Peter, the apostle, who was the chief of the disciples in a sense, Swearing to God the Father that he doesn't know his son who he just spent three years with. It's like, that relationship's a little bit strained right now. <laughs> Peter clearly denies Jesus and brings these cursings upon himself. And he says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Just as the religious leaders cried out for Jesus' death because of blasphemy and condemned him to death as the final nail in the coffin of their unbelief, we see Peter's denial brought to its fulfillment here. As he says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter denies Jesus for the third time. Verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter immediately understands the significance of what he's done. You might say, well, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Both of them, in a sense, denied Jesus and betrayed him. Judas did so for money, to profit himself. And we never read of Judas breaking down and weeping, and in a sense, repenting. But we see the response of Peter and how it is different. How Peter immediately, when he remembers what Jesus said, and as he hears the rooster crow, he breaks down and he weeps. He is overcome with the guilt and the emotion, and perhaps 
the regret of what he's done. He breaks down and he weeps. And we don't hear any more of Peter until Mark 16 in Mark's gospel. When Jesus is speaking, verse 7, and he says, but go, or, or excuse me, the angel is speaking, but go, tell his disciples, disciples, and who? And Peter. The angel, as the women come to the tomb, and Jesus is not there, and the angel says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See where the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. You think that's on purpose, that the angel said that? Everything God does is on purpose. Go tell the disciples and tell Peter that he is going before them to Galilee to meet them. So this is, in a sense, the end of the interaction with Peter in Mark's gospel. We leave him as he is weeping, as he has broken down after he has denied Jesus three times. And the only other reference in Mark's gospel is the angel saying that to the women. But in the other gospels, of course, in John, we read of Peter and his interaction with Jesus and uh, do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? We see how, how Peter is restored. But before we get there, we have to dwell in this passage. And Peter in his sinfulness. Just as Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders teaches us, so does Peter's failure here. So a couple ideas for us to think about. First, following Jesus means putting Jesus above what other people think. It's very simple but yet it's very hard to do. Why is that? It's because in our own sinful desire, our own sin nature, we like to be liked. That's not a wrong thing. If you live your life not caring if you're liked or not, there might be a little bit something wrong there. <laughs> like you want to be friendly. You want to be kind. If people don't like being around you, there's something maybe wrong there. But yet we can swing to the other extreme where we make that the sole obsession of our life. Of our life that we are accepted, that we are liked, that we are welcomed by absolutely everybody. And we care more about what everyone else thinks than what God thinks. Following Jesus means putting Jesus above what other people think. Peter feared what these individuals might think, say or do, if he identified with Jesus. And we don't have any inkling that they were going to string him up, right? That they were going to crucify him. But yet Peter denies Jesus because he's afraid of what they might do. We like to be liked. We like to fit in. But following Jesus means to a certain extent that we will follow him regardless of what other people think. And the fear of man uh, that is found in our own hearts, that's contrary to following Jesus. Fear of man is when we do certain things out of fearing what other people think rather than what God thinks. Giving in of seeking to please men rather than God. And we can do this in big ways or we can do it in small ways. We like to be liked. The lies of our own hearts tell us to protect our reputation or our image instead of faithfully standing for Christ. And that might be, on a practical thing in church, that you never... Uh, communicate the fact that 
you're struggling. You always have to put up a front that everything's a-okay. But we all struggle. To not share those things, to, to be so guarded that you can't let anybody in, is, is, can be a fear of man. But following Jesus means I'm following him, and sometimes it's hard to follow him. And I'm, I struggle in different areas rather than keeping up a facade. You follow Jesus above what other people think. In the workplace, in sharing our faith, we don't take the opportunities that God has put before us to be bold and to speak the truth, to stand for him because of what someone might think about us. So first, following Jesus means putting Jesus above what other people think. Secondly, as we read this and as we seek to understand this passage, we need to remember this, that we must preach truth to ourselves. We must preach truth to ourselves. Peter was overcome with his own sinfulness and protection of his own image. And he forgot about who Jesus was and what he's done and, and who he is. And we need to combat that by reminding ourselves constantly on a daily basis of who we are in Jesus. We are forgiven. We are joint heirs with Christ. Right? We are accepted in the beloved. We have uh, a new home in heaven. We have the, the freedom from sin that we can now follow after God. And it's also a good thing to remind yourself that my natural sinful bent is to seek my promotion rather than promoting God. And my sinful bent is to basically do things that benefit me maybe more than others. And my sinful bent is the fact that I'm sinful <laughs> and I bend things. <laughs> to think, okay, Lord, what are you doing? How am I responding to this situation? This is causing me anger or uneasiness. Why? Is it something concerned with your word or the truth that's being presented? Or is it making me uncomfortable because I might be shown as less than perfect? Or it's putting me in a difficult situation or it might be the fact that sin in my life might be confronted and corrected to preach the truth to ourselves to preach the gospel to ourselves the fact that we are sinners and our sin affects how we think and our interaction and to to take a step back and to evaluate what we're feeling what we're thinking how we're responding to people we need to do that I'm not naturally a self-reflective person. You know those questions maybe in school. How do you think you did? How do you feel about that? What is, you know, five of your greatest strengths, five of your greatest weaknesses? I could not stand those questions. I was like, I don't know. I just do what I do, right? <laughs> but to a certain extent, we need to learn that to, to reflect and think, okay, what was my motivation there? Was it to honor and to please God, or is it to seek to serve self? We must preach truth to ourselves daily. Third, as we look at this passage and we see, man, Peter failed. But we need to view this in the light of the rest of Scripture, is that we will fail. 
But when we do, there is restoration when we humbly cry out to God. God was not done with Peter. I think Peter understood what he did and he was humiliated in a good sense. He looked down and wept. And we see how God restores him and how God continues to use him in an amazing way. Here is Peter who will not acknowledge Jesus before maybe a 12-year-old girl. And how many days later do Peter and the other apostles stand before the same religious leaders and say, it's better for us to obey God than men. Here's the same Peter who's preaching to thousands and who is saying, you all killed Jesus. But Jesus has been raised from the dead and now confess, repent, and believe in him. There is no other name given among men by which we must save. This is Jesus. Believe in him. Peter goes from denying Jesus in front of a young girl to preaching boldly in the front of thousands. God restored Peter. and Peter humbly cried out to him, and it was amazing how God continued to use him. And the same thing for us. We will fail God. But the amazing thing is God never fails us. And when we humbly cry out for forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation, God is not up there saying, nope, not this time. Saying yes. As we sang, just as I am, I come broken, right? I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. Yes, that happens at salvation, but that happens every day of our Christian life when we fail and falter and fall before God, but yet he welcomes us with open arms because of Christ and what he's accomplished for us. One author said this, all of us have experienced failure at various times in our Christian lives, whether by falling into sin, allowing our relationship with God to grow cold, or keeping silent about our faith at times of doubt. Peter's story reminds us that God loves us despite our failings, and like the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son, He's always waiting with open arms to welcome us back into full fellowship with him. Peter was overcome through his sin nature of protecting himself. And he lied in the face of truth. And it's good for us to remember that in our flesh, in our sin nature, we promote self over Jesus. But we need to confront those lies with the truth of God and his word. Both scenes reveal the lies that bombard us each day, the lies of the world and the lies of our own sinful flesh. Both must be resisted with the truth of God's word and the truth of who Jesus is. We must remember that truth no matter what. And sometimes our feelings and emotions betray us. But we need to think about not what we feel, but what we know. We need to cling to the truth that is outside of us, speaking more clearly than we can think, as God's word does. A true disciple will courageously speak the truth to the lies of the world and the lies of our own hearts. And the hope is that when we fail to do this, there is still forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And God continues to use us. May we remain steadfast on the truth of God's word and the revealed knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. May we live in light of that truth day in and day out for his honor and his glory. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to look at your word. 
Lord, to think how this does impact us in a variety of ways. But Lord, most clearly is, is when I lie to myself in my own thinking. This is going to be okay. I can justify that. Lord, help us to not listen to those lies, but seek the truth of you and your word, how you call us to live. May you guard us against sin. May you guard our hearts and our thoughts and our words and our actions against selfishness. Lord, as David writes in Psalm 19, Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name.